Okay. Sensei Joe. Present. Present. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 8. I think it's Episode 8 of the Art Fight Podcast. Man. And we're here with uh, really our our primary routine guest, our featured, multi-time featured guest, Chris three, Zydek. This is your three, t- three times? Three for... This is good. You know, it's like on SNL, like when they, you know, they always get into the whole thing of like, oh, this guy hosted SNL again, and now just him and Steve Martin have done it seven times. It's like that with the Art Fight Podcast. That's you're, right. You're our Steve Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Eddie Bravo for Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> you're our Steve Bravo. Just as many conspiracy <laughs> theories. I could go into it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that that's like a thing, like, um, you know, because so much of your art is in and around um, sort of ancient symbology and things? Do you think that, mm. do you think that you get into conspiracy theories more easily because a lot of them are rooted in some of this ancient stuff? Do you want to go there? I can't hear you. What? Now? Yeah. Weird. It's his mic, huh? Jiggle the thing. I don't know. Jiggle the thing. Okay, I hear you. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah. There we go. You want to go there? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, (laughs) I used to be very into conspiracy theories, and uh, I've since very much toned it down. Mm -hmm. It's not good party talk. (laughs) 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 My buddy Jackson and I, who you've met, Purple Monk, um, you know, lived together. In uh, the late 2000s in Boone, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. as both our last year of college, uh, I was there for six years. (laughs) And we were. What university is in Boone? Appalachian State. Okay, Appalachian State. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very into aliens, and then from that went to crop circles. Uh, As one does. (laughs) <laughs> obviously <laughs> the gateway drug to crop circles yeah well we went in on <laughs> aliens I mean this was back in 09 08 and 09 and this is when YouTube was still kind of fresh and you could not everything was on YouTube you had to go mm-hmm. kind of deep to find things and there was a website called God the Orion Project maybe hmm God, I forgot what it was called. But they there's these two bizarre interviewers who interviewed all kinds of hosts that claim to have knowledge on ETs. And we had to have gone through easily 200 hours of interviews listening to that stuff. Like, as a he and I sitting down, giving it our full attention and taking notes and notebooks, uh-huh. which I still have. And from there, to crop circles. And crop circles is where... I really went fucking deep and uh, I still know quite a bit about crop circles and how did that how do they okay so Mm -hmm. let's talk crop circles for a second for sure Um, first question is human or not human or is it uh, or natural phenomena or a supernatural phenomena that I don't know Uh, human or non-human both for sure 
You mean like people that are human and not human at the same time? <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, there like are definitely human-made crop circles, and there are crop circles that, for sure, defy explanation. So, what would be an example of one that just defies explanation, or what aspects of one do you recall? <clears throat> what, what, what is? The, how do you know? There, how do you know enough? The, like, what is the material separation between legit crop circles, human, doable? Like, oh, I could do that on a weekend. Multiple elements. It's tough. There's <laughs> some of the ones you would think would be legit, as in not human-made. They're most complex, have been proven to be made by humans. Mm-hmm. And just me and my mathematical mind and my design mind, like, there's no fucking way people made that in one night. Um, and in southern England, where most of these things happen, they have, like, kind of semi-darkness in the summer when these happen. So it's, like, four hours of, like, Mm. not actual darkness mm-hmm. so it's kind of like twilight mm-hmm. which is tough when you can be easily seen doing that but maybe it makes it easier to do the work mm, and, may- people are, and people are still sleeping anyway maybe yeah so what makes maybe it's ideal what what makes it kind of obvious or telltale signs that it's not made by humans there are a few things that i think i can recall it's been a while since i've read about this stuff there are a few instances where the grain or the crop, usually in cereal crops, like barley, uh, uh, rape seed, and sometimes corn, wheat, things like that. There are some instances where uh, the, well, the crops have nodes. They're kind of like knuckles on a finger. And uh, there are some crop circles that are bent at the first node with these things called expulsion cavities. So the crops aren't actually broken and laying down. They're like a foot off the ground and bent. Mm-hmm. And at the first node, there's a hole where steam has come out uh, that has been charged by something, some kind of heat that mm-hmm. laid it down in that pattern. Without breaking it. Correct. Yeah. And then water vapor has to escape this uh, system and mm-hmm. it pops out through that first node so, Those the, are, so the water vapor is not native to the wheat grass or whatever itself it's no, actually it is okay. it is it's being heated up to a point where it I has see. to escape i see yeah so it's this heating process that's unnatural or unexplained yeah it's like yeah. very very fast like microwave because yeah. it's in, not like burned yeah. right yeah. yeah and in the human ones they would just be sort of like broken bent over and broken and trampled down yes. or dragged down or whatever it would be correct yeah other ones have had uh like flies and insects like stuck to the the grain mm. like they're fused mm. to the um the crop mm. uh other ones That's have had exploded animals in them <laughs> like uh ground chucks and birds they'll be in the middle of the crop circle and be in a, a million bits wow yeah um and my my favorite crop circle ever that I think if there's just one, if there's just one thing, there can like, be only one. If there's only one <laughs> UFO sighting, that's a real UFO sighting uh. that should warrant research. Mm-hmm. If one is true, then the whole, yeah. our whole system is fucking loopy. We have yeah. to rethink things. Yeah. So if there's the same thing with crop circles, the one I think is like the most legit is on Milk Hill, July of 2001. I think 
and it was like god 400 and some circles 900 feet across and on the highest elevation in southern england and it was a very rainy so the the whole formation itself was like oh god i think six or eight fold meaning uh six or eight divisions like a a square is full fourfold uh-huh. triangle is threefold mm-hmm. so it'd be like a hexagonal kind of feel but they're like is that kind ten, of is that 10 sides what is that how many sides is that what hex six six yeah okay yeah um and we know what eight is <laughs> yes <laughs> optimum <laughs> uh the thing is, I don't remember the fold of the geometry, but like curved lines, but they're all made up of like smaller circles, mm-hmm. 900 feet across, almost a thousand feet across, take 400 circles in it. Mm. And that night, it, like, it rained very hard in that area. And when they got to the formation in the morning, the middle of the formation was like bone dry dust. Like they, people that were first there that took video camera footage of them walking up to it had like mud and chalk all over their their like boots mm-hmm. like their uh their muck boots like up to their knees and they got to the formation everything inside of it was just dry powder and you're talking like however many hundreds of circles a thousand feet across in semi-darkness when it's not, raining so just not possible and by there, the way we're on instagram live right now everybody nice. i'm just letting you know and there's no mud or dirt on any of the crops where if you're having a plank and a rope and you're walking around in circles stomping down these circles one by one even if you're very careful and whatever you're still going to get mud and Mm -hmm. dirt on the crops interesting um so that one is that one's intense i'll pull it Mm -hmm. up so you can see isn't there also instances where the okay so let's say you have one of these instances where the crops have been bent over but they haven't been broken right they've been you know, heated in some way so that mm-hmm. they've been bent without breaking. Mm-hmm. Isn't there also times where they find that the, the all the individual stalks are like woven together in this way that seems like impossible for a person to have done? Yes. So that's another weird thing. Like if I saw that and I saw this, you know, like paved road essentially of woven fiber, you know what I mean? Very, very weird, you know? Some of those are fake yeah some of those are i think real some of them actually are fake though some of them they've proven that people can do that mm-hmm. interesting look at this fucking thing <laughs> sure if i want a human in it so it can give you some perspective you need to scroll through them that's what i was talking about oh yeah you want to see this brian we'll show the instagram people that's a crop circle that's how big a thousand feet in diameter a thousand feet it's beautiful yeah yeah it is yeah it's gorgeous it's it's perfect so you know like you know who's doing this Ian Ross is doing them <laughs> yeah <laughs> we did it in my yard with leaves yeah we raked leaves to a bunch of circles here check out this one Brian well so yeah I mean how much of this like so you, you know Ian pretty well like you know is this mm-hmm. is this kind of what what is sort of like the is it sort of uh, well, the chicken or the egg right like crop circles or has large scale earthbound um, sort of terrestrial art been a thing prior to that? The first uh, instance of a crop circle was uh, called the mowing devil. And that was in a copper etching news story in the 
1500s, 1400s. Mm. Well done. Called the Mowing Devil. <laughs> yeah, and there's a depiction of the devil in a, in a crop circle with uh, a scythe. Wow. Chopping it down. And they called them fairy circles after that. When was this? 1400s, I think. Huh. Um, could be wrong. Could be 1500s. I'm not sure. It's old. Very old. Copper engraving, like, you know, one-off news, like... Yeah. Uh, uh, broadsheet like style offset whatever. printing yeah. or something yeah so <clears throat> yeah they've been around forever you know uh there's stories of them being around you know for at least mm-hmm. 600 years mm, wow well and you have the the nazca lines in peru mm-hmm. those are really fucking old mm-hmm. you can't really even date those and those are also like weird designs in the in the uh in the landscape that you that you can only really see them for such a high elevation. Is Correct. that right? Yeah. So the idea is how could people have made these if they couldn't tell what they were doing because they couldn't have had that vantage point? I think they could have known what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Some of them are kind of crude. Yeah. Humans definitely made them. Yeah. Um, but the, it would but at least why? say that they, yeah, why did they do it? And it would at least also say that they had some kind of knowledge of like, um, not navigation so much, but like the ability to survey the land and, and, and be able to measure it out and actually, you know, render some kind of a drawing in the landscape. Yeah, there's there's ones there. There is a um, a mountaintop that seems to have been removed in Peru, where all the Nazca lines are. They're a bunch of just intersecting lines. It looks kind of like a like a runway, mm. but it's not a runway. It doesn't make any sense. And because when they remove the the debris and things from the area, it's just like a an inch maybe mm. of rock and sand that unveils this kind of white or lighter tone under body of soil Mm -hmm. so it's not like paving or anything it's very small amount of moving stuff around but i think the longest line it's like seven miles long Mm, and it's like pristine perfect like surveyed Mm -hmm. and there's like hundreds of these things all on this one mountaintop that seems to have been removed there's debris beneath it that would add up to be a mountaintop it's just been flattened mm-hmm. off interesting jeez it's a mysterious world i love the ancient stuff man that's like i i have uh so many books <laughs> now that, i bet you you have a lot of books that talk about the idea that there was a a, a like a, a highly advanced civilization that we might equate with Atlantis, right? From our ancient Greek legends, right? And that that, that happened and that Egypt is just a remnant of that great uh, that great world. I would love to go here too. All right. <laughs> You're speaking my language, yes. This is and this is my, my library in my house. Uh, oh, yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all those books. This is the good stuff. Um Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to zoom in on these spines. I think Egypt <laughs> Egypt is like are like the daughters of something previous for sure uh, there there is so much shit in Egypt that just defies even modern engineering like the Remesian statues they have in uh, Luxor for instance um, just Chris, for example <laughs> for instance uh, Chris, Chris Dunn he's a uh, a machinist and engineer and he's been there a lot of times to measure these things very precisely and then he does things back in his his shop um to try and recreate them or understand how they made it and if 
they're not really that well known, but they're, they're statues of Ramses, mm. but they're perfectly symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And they're made out of granite or diorite, just very, very hard rock. And they are, I mean, they're almost perfect. When I say almost, they're, the, the curvature is perfect, but there's, <laughs> there's slipped machine marks on them, like a saw or a drill, high powered, somebody kind of like tripped or they they lost their their footing in the saw right and it skimmed across something and made these imperfections Mm -hmm. on them but they look like the imperfections that a machine manufacturing process would have had yeah a high powered like diamond saw made them. it's like this perfect like v groove Mm -hmm. that is just very small and curve just mm. right and at a weird place it makes no sense for how they would have gotten the shape of the uh-huh. face itself but sure enough they're kind of all over egypt huh. are these these high powered so i mean and are they marks. human forms yeah ramses oh right yeah so it's, yeah. All, it's all human forms so it's not like um idealized or I mean, maybe it is to an extent, but ultimately they're a human form. Yeah, they're weird, you know, yeah. and a lot of them are black African. People don't want to admit that either, but yeah. a lot of, like the Sphinx, for instance, is black African. Mm-hmm. It's not Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. They had, um, there was a documentary a while back, God, maybe it's in the mid-90s now, called Mysteries of the Sphinx with Robert Schock. He's a geologist from mm-hmm. Boston University. And they hired this, like, uber-famous uh, facial reconstruction reconstructionist or whatever from uh, NYPD who oh, did wow. who did uh, illustration of people's face that were wanted and mm-hmm. things like that, and he went there with a colleague of his, like anthropologist or something, and they took all these detailed drawings and photos and things of the Sphinx, and they determined through all this analysis that it's Black African, wow, and not uh, Middle Eastern. Yeah, that's so interesting how like the absence of information sometimes can be information, like mm-hmm. when, if you're trying to you know, do something like that. Or uh, like, I just remember once I had to, um, I was taking a, a a class, I took a class called Writing About Art and it was taught by this professor that wrote the book, Writing About Art. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So maybe not so creative with naming things, but. Um, <laughs> but still it was. Titles are hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but, like uh, physics, the weak force and the strong force and <laughs> particle physics. Like, come on, boys. <laughs> you're, but, uh, sorry, you're saying yeah, so, Come on, boys. So, uh, <laughs> but I just remember, um, like w- one of the first things that I had to do was go, uh, you basically got like a list of things you could potentially write about that were all different sculptures or works of art that were in museums in New York and you would just go and so I chose this uh, Chinese sculpture from the dynasty that I forgot the name of and I had to go down there and basically use whatever means I could but basically write a visual description of this sculpture in such a way that um, after I'm done with it, that somebody else could feasibly draw it and it actually be like highly representational of it. So you're sort of... That sounds kind of scientific observation more than it does like writing about art. It is writing about art, but it's... Yeah. Yeah, so it was... I wouldn't say that what I did was scientific, but it was, you know... I, I, if I had more scientific knowledge... I, like you weren't allowed to like I couldn't like measure it and just say but it's also not subjective like oh and beautiful curves in the cheek 
you yeah. know it's like a slight roughly 80 degree yeah cut on the cheek and then a you know a squared jaw yeah or you could <laughs> use you could use sort of um you know um likeness you know you you, you could be a little bit you know literate literate about it mm-hmm. you know i mean not to the point where it's like you know whatever as soft as a summer lawn or like you couldn't you know, like go down that far but like <laughs> but but you could kind uh. of kind of do that um but it was just a like to go through that exercise i just wish that everybody had the opportunity to be forced to do that and to do it well because it's something it changed just doing that one project changed how i actually look at anything Mm -hmm. and i would imagine like for an artist like you like where you're you know you've done a lot of i'm sure you've done a lot of drawings of things that exist uh, you know and so you're already doing all those brain computations of how light is hitting and where light's coming from and what materials are and why those materials are present in this whatever it is you know like all that processing to you is probably instinctive but for anybody where it's like I'm not just immediately like that translation happens to your hand from you know from your eyes through your brain processing to your hand like so fast but like to sit there and really say okay I've got you know two pages that I need to write that are in this structure that will lead to my complete understanding visually of what this thing is. And so like the the history of it is only important if it helps you understand the visual description, but you know, that's even a tricky sort of game to play because everything becomes then referential or you know, if you bring up some example of something, it might cue different ideas in people's minds about what that is. So you really well, could yeah. be lost on them as well. <laughs> yeah, or you just outright lost. Mm-hmm. So like so basically you you um you get to the point where you are kind of you know sort of trying to like how do you describe like these particular types of uh slopes or curves or you know whatever i can't yeah i'm terrible at writing about my work yeah well i mean that's okay or work in general if you're if you're doing the work uh this reminds me of being in college and high school having critiques in class Mm -hmm. i didn't major in art i minored in it Mm -hmm. i hated it Mm -hmm. and collegiate atmosphere Mm -hmm. but the critiques are like okay the teacher the professor's like all right critique time uh now we have so-and-so's piece what do you think oh i really like it (laughs) i don't really like this one why i don't know i just like it it's purple yeah Ooh, it's pretty yeah oh it's really good everyone's like that yeah and you have the one person who who's they're talking about but is scared to look like an asshole yeah. being like i don't think you properly rendered this yeah <laughs> you know this aspect of what you're doing but then you're the pretentious prick who actually does what you're supposed to do in class uh-huh. not just like well i like it hope you get an a <laughs> <laughs> i i so when i was in my 30s i went when i was in my 30s hope i went and took an, a, a painting class for fun because i'd never i was trying to take classes or do things that i just knew that i was no good at um and so I can't draw. I certainly don't know how to paint. So I took a intro to painting course at City College in New York City. And uh, it was so crazy because everybody else there, like even the worst people have, not worst people, but the worst, even the least talented people seem to have this innate gift of doing fundamental drawing of any kind. <laughs> like I'm, it's, I'm so bad at it. Like it's just, it's so, it's so terrifying. And so, 
you know, you start off an intro to painting course and the first thing you're doing is like still life paintings, you know, and it's like a bottle and a window type of thing. It was maddening. Like, I mean, I just... I couldn't I, get past that. That's why I I went to school first for biochem and then I went uh, into graphic design, which was in the art department. Hated the art department. So then I went to... Uh, technology and I did graphic arts imaging technology that's more especially at that time like that was learning how to do things on a computer in any way no matter what you were doing if you were just doing yeah. something on a computer you were probably doing the right thing at that now, time <laughs> it, then I, I never got to the actual graphic design courses in undergrad as all of the preliminary stuff but I think most of what they did there was all still very analog like old school design shit and when we did we were like print makers and we did layout a lot so we learned a lot of in design and layout and then how to properly export those files to certain printers you know uh flexography offset we had a gravure which is interesting a what gravure bless you thank you <laughs> it's uh it's not it's used for like really really high run products but the one we had there was for cracker jack boxes so it's like this big huge fucking heavy cylinder metal cylinder that has the image mirrored and like really properly etched onto it so it rolls through and it, and it can just go forever and so it's meant for things that like don't change like the cracker jack box it hasn't changed in like fucking 80 years mm -hmm. so you had one of those uh screen printing we had automatic and manual uh sorry said flexo flexography that's what you print uh like cat food bags or like the 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 plastic that holds together uh paper towel rolls that flexography yeah oh so that's all the weird shit that you print on that has that i'm sorry that weird shit that's printed on that like how does they how do they print that it's yeah and how you design for that flexographic yeah, yeah uh process and spot colors pro uh process colors or um cmyk so if you get to be like one of those people you're you're in the grocery store and you're like this is weak as fuck these scott paper towels they whoever they whoever their flexography guy is yeah weak well sometimes you notice that um God, i haven't done printmaking shit in so long i don't know the terminology anymore but uh, uh it's not you'll notice that prints aren't properly lined up what the fuck is the word for it um it's been so long it's not properly lined up so you have like one color here oh, right, and then yeah. one color it's like a little bit off which is kind of an yeah. effect in some cases right like, yeah but it's yeah. That shouldn't quality it looks control. Like 3D you should with the glasses off. You don't right? let that out of okay. yeah, 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 the yeah. facility. Yeah. It looks like I noticed that kind of stuff. It looks like a Joe Nolan album cover. It's like a Joe Nolan record, man. <laughs> it's like a, a Hatch show print poster. Yeah. Trying to look cool. Yeah. Some kids like, well, hold on a second, I'm gonna move it just a little bit. Okay, <laughs> now run it again. <laughs> so yeah, I guess you, you probably would have to be a stoner to do that. Yep. <laughs> what? Run, run the presses? <laughs> just, 
Just to be like, man, flexography. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very blue collar job. The actual Print. press operators. Yeah. I went to a few operations when I was in undergrad and I was kind of blown away by how blue collar that was. I was expecting it to be like guys in like really cool like moleskin vests (laughs) (laughs) like properly adding ink to rollers you know and like doing tests and having the little like roller and like doing checking the ink on a nice Uh piece of paper but it's just like dudes in hairnets and just like pushing buttons and and stuff yeah lots of like heavy machinery sounds yeah smelled terrible i i used to um when i when i was in my early 20s I was working, I, I, so I ended up getting really deep into the world of color printing and just printing in general for whatever reason, just because of my job. You know, worked at like copy shops and shit like that. You know, and which was great if you were in a band, by the way. Mm-hmm. Free posters. Because when I was like, like my band when we were when I was like twenty one years old, we would have like twenty four by thirty six, you know, full color, and like back then those things cost. It would cost like forty five dollars to you know print one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And like so, what I would do is I would make sure I worked um, third shift. You know, like one, a couple nights, maybe a month. Uh-huh. And then on third shift, I would just go nuts and just print out everything uh, possible to the point where I was. I remember the boss coming in one morning and and being like, "Siskin, you know, like what did." Look all because he saw all the scraps and all the trash and like stuff I've been cutting and like, laminating and God knows whatever else you know. And he just saw all the paper and the in the recycling bins from all. There's like two stuff. full webs of like cold pressed paper gone. It's like four thousand dollars in paper, pretty much. But but I, I but I remember I got so one of the sort of little expertise things that I got was this. There was a machine called a DocuTech, which was a um, it was made by Xerox. And what's funny about it too is like, so this is 1991 maybe. So um, there was no internet computery kind of things going on at all really. Um, And it was just giant sort of room size printing apparatus, but it had like a screen and it had a mouse and it had like a black and white little interface. And you you could do basic like copy and paste. Like you could scan it with the thing and then do copy and paste. And it was very crude. But at the time, it was like so revolutionary. It was so amazing. Um, and it would do like high volume, you know, and it would do like inside the machine, like bind the books or God knows, you know, whatever you want it to do. Damn. And then they had um, these mach- these computers that were sort of the front end for it that were um, uh, Novell networking. I don't know if anybody knows about Novell, but that was that was a thing. When I was a kid, we had the computer in my, my room didn't have a huge house the computer and the printer were in like my bedroom and my parents were both high school teachers so they always had to print off their own shit for class like banners and everything else and our printer we had i remember when i was young early 90s around the time you're talking about was the ones that were like yeah yeah and they had they had the edges that oh, yeah, would yeah. were perforated that you, that you pulled off yeah and, you, <laughs> and then dot matrix we would use those as currency as kids Oh, like yeah. the dots were like money. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. But yeah, the dot matrix. Yeah. So this was not dot. This <laughs> yeah. was not dot matrix, but it was kind of like, you know, in that vein. Um, Man, early '90s clip art dot matrix banners. My mom would make for her social studies and psychology classes. Yeah. I wish I had those now. 
Yeah. It'd be very ironic for hipsters to have a dot matrix printer these days. Totally. <laughs> yeah, well, so so but the these room size copiers by the way, like it got to the point where like that was my 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 profession at that point, like my money-making job was being like the man with you know, I was certified by Xerox or whatever to run these machines. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird cuz you know, like we were just watching the other night like the you know the cnn or whatever produced that whole series of like about the decades you know and they have uh, you know yeah. we were watching the one for the 80s and it's just so crazy because I, I mean i was like you know i i remember like when the apple first came out and the first pcs came out and all that and how like the even just uh a graphical user interface with a mouse was a sea change just i didn't a, have that our yeah. first computer was a Mac. It was like the green and black DOS. Yeah. And you, right. there was no mouse, I don't think. And you had to, to do anything. You had to like But code. to be clear, Macs did not yeah. run DOS. What was it? It was just, well, they had, I guess, their own sort of command line. But I, yeah. Uh, it was just whatever their OS was. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but I remember like on the two E's or whatever, like you had. It was a box. Yeah. You know, it was like a, a beige box yeah, yeah. with like a kind of a bubble screen to it. Mm-hmm. I remember playing Reader Rabbit on it. Reader Rabbit. Yeah, floppy, like an actual floppy disk. Right. Uh, Reader Rabbit. You had to go in and type code, and yeah. then that pulled the game up, and then you had to like only use the keyboard to play a game when it wasn't really a game. It was just like spelling and shit like right. that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so we were watching that, and it was it was just a, a crazy thing to see, you know, like how like I remember when I had like a Texas Instruments computer mm-hmm. and was learning how to code in basic. Uh-huh. We had the Commodore 64. Yeah, we ended up getting the <laughs> we ended up getting the Commodore sixty four after the Texas Instruments the the TI four ninety nine A as it was, <laughs> and, and then um, and then we got the Commodore one twenty eight. Uh-huh. And by the way, you know what Commodore sixty four means, right? You know what the sixty four means? Oh, sixty four bits. Sixty four K is talking about how much internal RAM. Uh, it has that, that 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 was the it had 64k of ram that's insane so let's what think a about beast. so let's think about that right like 64 kilobytes so well, so mm. what what is now 64 kilobytes i'll tell you what is 64 kilobytes if you go on a computer it's like and, a png and you open up microsoft word and you just create a new document and then you don't oh even don't even type anything just a, a blank document a blank on Microsoft document Word is, save it. is the, the whole RAM. Yes. Wow. It's like making my website, the little the little logo that was up in the address bar. The fave icon. Yeah, it's about that size. And in contrast to that, I was listening, watching, listening to uh, a new Rogan podcast last night when I was painting. And he had on, I can't remember his name, as, as a psychologist. And they were going in on some shit and talking about AI and Jamie brought up an image of this newest supercomputer that took 10 years to build. I think it has like a million gigs of Ram or something like that is the pro is it's like a a 1 million core processor and the computer, excuse me, it's supposed to mimic a human brain. It, huh. it was just announced the other day. Do you know anything about that? Mm-mm. It's a one million core processing. In the in the in the one the, million what? 
core. I don't know, like a like, like a megahertz, like because like, like the processors are going to be about speed. Man, not capacity. I don't know anything about computers, dude. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like my my computer is a dual quad core. That's the processor that we're talking about, though, yeah. as opposed to like storage capacity. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's about storage. I think it's yeah. talking about yeah processing like processing power yeah. megahertz or in this case gigahertz yeah but it's supposed to mimic a human brain mm. like the connection or i don't know uh, something like that i need to look into it more obviously i don't know what i'm talking about but right. the, the photo looked kind of like the first computer ever made in like the 60s or 50s it's like the whole room yeah the right main, sort yeah. of mainframe yeah and that's what it looked like and you know to think that now our iphone or even fuck a uh, a flip phone in the yeah. early 2000s it was first one taking photos that were colored <laughs> yeah. you know it's like that can probably wipe the floor with that first computer i heard <laughs> yeah. i heard i heard, um, I heard uh, <laughs> so you know like uh you remember like tom green like, tom green show mtv in 90s right yeah like, you know yeah. he's he's been doing stand-up for a long time but he had a bit in one of his recent acts that i heard that was so good but basically he was talking about you need to catch up with tom green yeah yeah we're, we're, we're friends on twitter are you serious yeah oh i want to be yeah. friends with him on twitter like i like and I, when i say friends i just mean like I've tweeted something and then he liked it. He's <laughs> retweeted it and then yeah. like said something, and I believe that he follows me. That's cool. Um, well, I'm on Twitter it, to follow comedians. Damn, That's yeah. what it's all name about. dropping. Yeah, Wash I mean, your shoes. I'm just saying, I, I'm not followed by many cool people, but he's one of them. Uh, I'm also very, like I'm trying to think of cool people I'm followed by. Um, Finish your time. You, you guys follow me, so that's good. Uh, Rose Nama Yunus. <laughs> that's another one that's funny. Oh, right on. Rose Nama Yunus follows me because on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Because I started following her when she had like 200 followers. Uh -huh. when she when, was, back when she had long hair. <laughs> yeah, back, back when she was just, uh, you know, turning professional. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we go way back. Is she yeah, a fighter? Yeah, yeah, she's a champion. She's badass. She's awesome. But, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so the, um, yeah, but the, the, uh, the, the computer thing, like he was, Tom Green's bit was about cell phones and he was just saying like he was just making fun of air, uh, cell phones in sort of the early 90s or like what they were at that point and he was like he was like yeah cell phones at that point if you were on one it looked like you were calling in an airstrike <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. cool. like a Zach Morris phone <laughs> that big beige brick yeah. yeah it's really funny because I just well, I just saw um uh, caught like part of Platoon on TV the other night and that's exactly that where they still have this sort of almost like World War II style radio <laughs> yeah. set that they're like pulling up and they're just like yes they give him the coordinates Barnes <laughs> yeah. that's a good movie oh it's amazing yeah, it's my, uh, my it, parents I haven't seen it in a long time. Does it stand up? I mean, yeah, it, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, here's how well it stands up. Is oh, that yeah, like I, I got into like one of the darkest sequences where they sort of, they sort of do. I, I, it may be something that I mean, I'll some of the uh, quite a bit of this is literally autobiographical for Oliver Stone. But there's a scene where they end up in this uh, in this village, and it's almost like a me lie sort of like scene where. They're, they come into this village and they're ready. They're looking for fucking trouble. You know what I mean? And, and it gets real dark real fast. And I remember I was watching it and I was like, God damn, I forgot how dark this movie gets. And it's like, so yeah, it was still affecting. Yeah. Good old Kevin Dillon really brings it. <laughs> Is that the best war movie of all time? I, it's arguably, yeah. I really love it. I think it's great. I also really like, in terms of like contemporary war movies, I really like Thin Red Line. Oh, yeah. Malik. <laughs> Yeah, leave it to him. Make it beautiful. Yeah, too. Yeah, it's Full incredible. Metal Jacket's really good. Yeah, Full That's, Metal Jacket is really good. I think that might. Man, it's close. I mean, I guess it depends on like what you want out of it. Saving right? Private Ryan was good too, man. 
Saving Private Ryan's a little bit too like traditional war movie for sure. But and he's like, kind of trying to do that, of course, the, as well. The, the D-Day scene, yeah, yeah. As no, far as just yeah. like scenes and, are concerned, of, like technical war films, yeah, it's amazing. Banner also, Brothers. If we stretch our if we stretch our idea of what a war movie Apocalypse is, Apocalypse Now. I might yeah. put out, I might out put out, yeah Apocalypse Now. That has to be the number one, right? Like, yeah. Apocalypse Now is pretty amazing. That yeah. has to be the best. In many ways, I would agree. <laughs> there, I don't know. There could be a three-way tie depending yeah. on what kind of cinephile right. you are between Full about, Metal Jacket, yeah. Apocalypse Now, and Thin Red Line. And what about okay, all right, what so about Braveheart? Is that a war movie? No, that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a movie. Memphis Belle. Uh, hey, whoa, <laughs> Memphis Belle was good. That's a war movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> my grandpa used to uh, watch that because he was uh, that thing that Mash, was, it was Mash based was a on movie his, also right that's right that's a war movie yeah so so okay Apocalypse Now sit, well, Avatar no no <laughs> so, <laughs> technically so, war movie so Full Metal Jacket <laughs> Apocalypse Now what was the what's the Thin the, Red Line Thin Red Line okay Thin Red Line's not in my all time greatest okay, war so film what of are all the top, time category. we're trying to get the top but three I do love it what are the top three I'd say Platoon Apocalypse Now what and else? Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket has to be in the top three. It's not really. I mean, it's it's up there for me. It's top ten, maybe. Oh my god! I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, to oh, me, it's Jesus. Yeah. It's, no, I wouldn't agree. I don't think it's that good. I think it's overrated. Oh my, what? <laughs> War film. Or here's the thing: I would say it's well, so I, uniquely weird that it's yeah, hard to understand I, no, it against it. other war movies. I think obviously well, Inglorious Bastards. So the focus, the focus, <laughs> the focus of uh, Full Metal Jacket is so localized. Yeah. And it's Where, such whereas weird, the others are more sort of sprawling, and they kind of entertain a lot more. And there's that sort of weird shift of and, tone, like from the first half to the second half. Yeah. Oh, but here's one thing Apocalypse I got to give now you. Now does that shit because like, what about Vincent like, D'Onofrio? The last, the last third of Apocalypse Now is like, am I watching the same fucking yeah, movie yeah, that's at this true point? Too. That's true. Like, it gets too. pretty fucking surreal. Like yeah, Playboy bunnies out on the docks yeah, with the fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I love the doors in that movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's the only, and that. By the way, side note, that's the only time that I can tolerate the doors anymore. Greatest American Man. No. <laughs> like that, that deer uh, hunter oh shit deer uh, hunter <laughs> alright yeah deer hunter's great I can't do top movies yeah it's hard although I do have a favorite film why doesn't David Lynch have a war film well look at him <laughs> <laughs> no, no one with that haircut has ever <laughs> look at him he just fetishizes violence yeah <laughs> Yeah, his his war is really Ugh. quite internal. Yeah. My favorite movie I'm is, is totally on the inside, biased. Brian, for my <laughs> that's a pretty good impression. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What my, was it? My favorite movie is biased towards the things in life I love the most, mm. which are uh, beauty, mm. uh, ancient civilizations, <laughs> kind of mysticism. Like, mm. You realize that Welcome Back, Cotter is not a movie. I know, I know. Uh, the Fountain. Oh, the, fountain. the Fountain's intense. Yeah, that's my favorite film of all time. Is it really? Yeah. I like I, that you picked that because that's an outrageous you me, film. You told me to watch this and I yeah. haven't watched Aronofsky, it. Aronofsky, it bombed in yeah. theaters. It was, it was. I like him as a filmmaker because he's not afraid to go fucking for broke. And, it, and sometimes it's like right in the fucking target and then other times it's like, where is the target? But I still like it, man. But he hasn't made a bad film. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I, Pie is amazing. Yeah, for sure. It was all shot gorilla. There yeah, were there were great. no permits for that. Obviously, Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fountain is mm-hmm. like, in my opinion, one of the best films ever made. Uh-huh. 
Uh, Noah is underrated. Noah is underrated. Wrestler <laughs> is amazing. Wrestler's girl. Mother? Black Swan. You see Mother? I haven't seen Mother yet. Dude, my I, buddy keeps telling me, my director friend Mother is keeps crazy. telling me to watch. I know, I need to see it. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. I haven't seen it. Yeah, you got to see Mother. It's fucking insane. I've been wanting to see it forever. And then when, then suddenly I realized it was like on Amazon Prime or something. So you might want to check it oh, out. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it is. There are multiple film critics, like really like badass, hard ass film critics that talked about, that said something along the lines of, this film will still be will, will be taught in uh, film courses in textbooks 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. It's like it's that good. It's going to be like taught about for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's totally one of those, like you know it when it, well, man, I need Apocalypse to see it. Now was kind of like that, right? Like yeah. it's one of those movies where as soon it as is. it happened, people were like, "This is going to be the shit forever." Well, I think a thin red line's still like that in too. Saigon. <laughs> Terrence Malick I mean look at him before the past couple of years he made a film every 10 years I think or yeah. something like that yeah he almost I mean he was like it was almost like does this guy still exist is he still alive like where is this is guy is he a lawyer what, what yeah. was his profession was he I don't a lawyer? remember I don't remember he had some profession that was like kind of yeah. high end and then mm-hmm. he would every once in a while make mm-hmm. a really beautiful film yeah. and then just but he didn't do. He, he wouldn't be on like interviews and stuff. And so you, he was kind of no. like one of those guys you didn't even know what he looked like. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So he's a real mystery. And beautiful movies. I saw this. Um, uh, it's it's a blah 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 blah. But I saw a double feature program by Ethan Hawke at the Bell Court because um, he had a movie that he brought to the Bell Court. He uh, did some programming and introduced his films. And I we like went, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, in this movie he made was called Blaze, and it's about a Texas, a real life Texas singer songwriter who was friends with Town Van, Towns Van Zant. It was a good movie. Um, so he was here to promote that, but then he also programmed some movies, and we went and saw those. And he did a Wes Blank documentary called uh, "The Blues According to Light, Light, Lightning Hopkins," right? Who's the Texas blues guitarist? Beautiful movie. And then that was followed by Badlands by Terrence Malick. Mm. And, and they sort of went together in this cool way. Um, but Badlands, that's a great movie. I like Tree of Life, too. Mm-hmm. Me, too. I love Tree of Life. You've seen Days of Heaven? No. That's the one with uh, Sam Shepard is like the guy out. On, he's like a, He owns like this big farm in Kansas. And Richard Gere is really young. And him and Brooke Adams like have like run away from the city because they got into some trouble and so now they're out there just acting as farm hands but then there's a love triangle and it's fucking beautiful that movie is so beautiful everything he does is beautiful yeah it's great Terrence Malick Badlands <laughs> I haven't seen Badlands what am I missing Badlands and Days of Heaven was that one I was just describing yeah but we haven't talked about Jim Jarmusch I love him too mm. he had a great cameo on um Bored to Death you ever watch that show? I love Bored to Death. So yeah. good. And yeah. yeah, Jim Jarmusch is on there. And it's when uh, 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 Schwartz's character is supposed to be writing for him. Uh-huh. And then oh, he, he, he like he, he gets like nicks from it because he, he yeah. does one of his like PI games uh-huh. and miss, misses some meeting. And uh-huh. Jarmusch is like riding a bike around an empty like loft. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's just yeah, like yeah, talking shit to Schwartz the whole yeah, time yeah, about yeah. Not being on time. Yeah, that's a good series, man. It was only like two seasons. I wanted three. a lot more. Was it three? Yeah, okay. it, but they're short. Yeah. Yeah, oh man, that was that's like, one of the best series ever made, I think. Yeah, that all starts off with him like getting kicked out of his apartment because he gets high and drinks too much champagne and his no. girlfriend's like doesn't take him seriously. He, yeah, he smokes <laughs> yeah. too much. They always call it pot. 
he smokes yeah. too much pot and drinks too much so then he only <laughs> he only carries a dugout one hitter with yeah. him and he only drinks white wine because of his low alcohol content oh, okay. <laughs> you know it's like making a point of that it's like <laughs> drinking white wine has lower alcohol content <laughs> i see that's great it's just, that, that fucking shit's awesome it's such a well-written I, show yeah i actually just got um over halloween i got I, i'm like I like to actually own like movies, right? So I, I too. bought some Blu-rays over Halloween of just like some stuff that that was, you know, movies that I love that I haven't had that I didn't want to actually own. But I got um, Jim Jarmusch has a movie called Only Lovers Left Alive. Have you seen that? With the it's no. a vampire movie. It only came out a few years ago, but it's Tilda Swinton and hmm. this other guy are basically like 400 years old right but they live in tilda lives in um in europe somewhere and then this dude lives in like this decrepit old victorian almost like a castle in detroit right and and that and she goes to detroit and then the whole movie is shot in contemporary detroit right so it's like they turn where was this made uh, f- maybe five years ago. It's a Jim Jarmusch movie. Only lovers left alive is the name of it, and it um uh and it uh and it's about these contemporary vampires living in Detroit, and it basically turns contemporary Detroit not in a bad way, but it basically turns it into like just like a haunted house. You know what yeah. I mean? So like Detroit is sort of like his Dracula's castle, and they they live there, and they're they have all sorts of like weird complications with their relationship because they've been together for hundreds of years and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's it's like a Jim it's a Jarmusch movie where it's like quirky any, any and relation, weird any and relationship, sl- slow and funny and any relationship after hundreds of years is going to run into some speed bumps <laughs> yeah there's going to be a few speed bumps but if I, I've like been telling chip. you for 140 years <laughs> yeah. you've got to chip in on the dishes uh, yeah exactly <laughs> Can you, you turn on the vacuum? <laughs> you, you've been leaving the cap off the toothpaste for two hundred <laughs> motherfucking years. Speaking of I'm vampires, of I just watched uh, Bram Stoker's for the first time in like fifteen years mm-hmm. again last night. Mm-hmm. Totally holds up. Yeah, no, it I love is that fucking movie. awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this show before, but I did art direction for a film for like seven years, and I just kind of quit this past winter when I did a mural for Google mm-hmm. or in conjunction with Nashville Walls Project and Google, I had it to choose between a commercial and the wall. And it's like, well, you know, I've always loved film, but I did it because my friends were doing it. They needed an art director and I just kind of kept getting work mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it, but I didn't. Yeah. It's not my love. Yeah. Whereas painting is my love. So once you kind of tell someone, a producer or a director, you're not doing a job, they never call you again right and that kind of just floats through the film ether in mm. town and so everyone just quit calling me mm. and so my film career kind of came to an end bringing that back around you could kickstart it again anytime you wanted though <sighs> no and people get I'm in i'm not saying it wouldn't be work i'm just saying it would be a lot it's of not work like it's gone yeah i kind of start i'm over. not saying you should do it either i'm just saying i'm not going to yeah, do it yeah. no only if it's a feature film and it's like really fucking sick yeah you should um, be doing you should be doing like film. you should be doing like full <laughs> on like uh or, set design like like well that's what i'm that's what bram stoker's dracula yeah. uh who oh god who did that um if i was making a film i would Coppola. want you to do set design uh-huh. yeah directed the it drac- yeah yep uh almost the entire film is studio mm-hmm. you can tell that like the <sighs> castle facade the roads and the forest uh-huh. leading to the castle 
the interiors of these like mansions they're in they're yeah. all like in studio you can just mm-hmm. tell yeah it's almost like a really elaborate play yeah it is and it, and i like that you feel still, you don't have that yeah, anymore yeah everything's fucking cg yeah and it looks great yeah but there's also something to be said about how actual light i think it's actual exactly objects. and yeah. that's the thing so here's the thing like i'll say i have a hard time with fiction in general I have a hard time with fictional film, and and so I spe- I I, my brain spends a lot of time suspending disbelief yes. to try to fucking enjoy anything that's not a documentary or real as fuck. Yeah, and it makes me crazy sometimes, but it's just the way that it is. Unless it's just so profanely just obtuse that it yeah. kind of doesn't matter, whatever. But but like, <laughs> but I but I think that that's one of the things about like sort of AI and CGI and all this VR and all the things that have acronyms that are technological. They um they all amount to like it's as real as possible but it's it's i think that our brains it's kind of like um where am i going with this so when i see somebody that's had a lot of plastic surgery okay for example when i look at like if i see a i don't know why but if 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 i see a like i saw a picture of meg ryan the other day just like by accident just looking at the internet and you can't you just end up seeing shit and she's married to somebody now or some actor that's also like oh now they're seeing each other anyway i I was like is that even meg ryan like what the fuck she's had so much plastic surgery that she just looks like a different person and so she's always so cute that's too bad right so but you know i get it like they want to have all their i don't i don't i'm I'm not saying i get it like i subscribe (laughs) to i'm just saying like i know what you mean i understand like the i'm I'm going absurdity of it i i i'm slicing into that more i don't get it i get it but I, i don't I know it's it's I, I don't agree with it at all. I'm just saying I understand the dark system that they live in where that becomes part of the value system that then they then they then feel like they need to subscribe to even though from way out here it is loco. Uh so I like I get that, but I guess my point is just that like anybody that's even had the slightest amount of plastic surgery like my, my brain sees those kinds like replications or photos or or whatever or the people in in person my brain does some weird short circuity kind of thing where it just acknowledges that that's not real and that there's aspects of inauthenticity about or or whatever about what I'm seeing and and it sits in my mind like I and I and it's not like I'm even judging them or you know it's not like that kind of a a thought it's more like I'm I'm just my brain is is firing to sort of say this is not real like I think it almost uh elicits some sort of primal part of the brain that is focused in and around like are you seeing what you're really seeing or not like should i should i have a defense response or not like primally or like whatever it is (laughs) Uh, i'm not saying like i want to defend myself against people with plastic surgery but no and i i'm just saying like only time i'm like really for it is if things aren't right with you yeah there can be things about you that don't come out quite right that need to be that they can be fixed where right. it's not it's not totally vain mm-hmm. or if there's an in, an injury or something like that or yeah. if you oh yeah yeah of course reconstruction Jeez. yeah 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 but like filling your face with plastic and and poison oh, oh my god who was i don't know who she is even if you said her name i probably wouldn't know there's a woman right. who's like this obviously she's blonde in trouble for saying that probably <laughs> in the PC yeah. world but she's like some famous person that just looks like this obscene doll she's old as shit I can't think of who hmm. it is but she's just this huge shiny 
pink and like fleshy bubble of a head yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i know i'm do- doing it no just not having yeah. her name or anything but well, well, is just but the, but to the, the max yeah so but, but the reason is why your I, name mickey rourke <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why i brought that up though is just because like getting Him back too, to right? sort of the movie, similar the movie thing right like the um this all came up because of sort of talking about cgi versus like a, th- a theatrical sort of set yeah, just that um, you, we we know we know it's fa- phony when we see it. So yeah, there's something about CGI that <clears throat> actually feel like ultimately. So let me how do I explain this? So I think that if your brain is if your thinking and your perception is the type of person that senses um, inauthenticity from something and takes that in a, in a negative way, or it just seems like it's a barrier to get through to something. Then in the in the medium of film, I would rather have more blatant or caricature like inauthenticity that is still in this functional sort of instrument or a venue like a theatrical approach, right? Uh, from a theater basis. Like even though I know like kind of like how Kubrick works, you right? Call like, that practical. Yeah, like oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. So like like the idea of, like in a Kubrick film, and you see like you know the dead center of sort of uh, focus and very symmetrical sort of you know two-point perspective and one-point whatever, like just really intense uh, framed shots. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, all these people are standing out sort of facing the camera. They're almost like, it's almost like moving picture portraiture yeah. in this yeah. way that's like very sly. And that's really based, I think, in the theater modality where there's some mm-hmm. two-dimensional plane that people are on that they have to be directionally sort of mm-hmm. uh, applying to themselves and their movement and their presentation to an audience. And so that the nature of those all the machinations and stuff of that theatrical sort of presentation because it has an underlying pragmatism about it it feels actually strangely more authentic even though it's less quote-unquote realistic Mm. than the cgi itself but the the cgi triggers a a more sort of uh negative response from me because my brain does that weird plastic surgery kind mm. of analysis of like something's not right so like i just it just kind of throws me off even though it looks you know like 90 percent real when it's the best i can lose myself yeah like the marvel films i love them fuck you (laughs) (laughs) to whoever is hating on that i mean i grew up like a a comic book kid anyway and it's been a dream to finally Uh watch this shit happen right that's right dude yeah Yeah. see you one day up up there (laughs) um but it's been a dream of mine since i was like very young to have these things be Mm like real mm. that not not just 2d printed images you know yeah. but like have films about this kind of stuff and so now it's to the point where they have like some of the biggest studios in the world with the most manpower and brains and mm. newest technology going into it they look fucking incredible from my perspective mm. yeah but if you're using that type of cgi and those kind of like after effects kind of things and maya and all the programs that you use for that and you can't get to that caliber don't like yeah. like Sharknado like I know it's meant <laughs> yeah. to be kind of spoofy at least the, it's camp well at least the ones after the first one were obviously tongue in cheek the first one may have been serious but using that kind of CG <laughs> but you can't use Sharknado as an example for anything in any context <laughs> well I mean I would rather versus like, Jaws well <laughs> which one's better no well, I know I would <laughs> rather watch yeah. Congo than Sharknado or I'd r- rather watch Anaconda than Sharknado. I don't think Be- so because I saw your personalized license plate on your truck. And no. You know what it says? No, I forgot. It's S H 
K. This is Anaconda. It's S H K S H K N D O. Oh my God. Tara Reed. Don't let me start on her either. Anyway, so I think that if you have the money to make a film, rather than have a shitty CGI department, you use that money to do practical effects. Yeah. Because they look way better. And when and you say practical effects, essentially, you're talking about special effects that you actually are actually happening in real space in front of a camera lens in and camera. are being captured in time. Yeah, right? in camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the camera is capturing the things that you see. Yeah. But that's, more, that's, that's obviously more performative and authentic. I don't know about performative. Uh, it's, well, I mean, from a camera perspective, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, take production lighting and, and shit. Yeah, but yeah, but you're also paying people like I'm sure a lot of money to even do the worst CG jobs in films. It's still like a, a large yeah. team of people doing right. a half-assed job, where you could have just as many folks building something for you, making you a kick-ass model and getting the right lighting on it and everything. And mm, now the Death Star I mean, explodes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going <laughs> to compare Sharknado to um, Blade Runner, but <laughs> Blade Runner was all practical. You know, <laughs> this is going to be, it's we got to use minutes, this in our, in our promotion. Miniatures. Uh, I'm not going to compare Sharknado to Blade Runner, but <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> Art fight podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now here comes the the fight that people can understand. <laughs> Sharknado versus Blade Runner next week <laughs> on our fight podcast. So think of Sharknado as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll bring the art to the art fight and <laughs> all forms of art. I'm a fan. I'm yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot about a lot of things. Well, about certain. I don't know a whole lot about. CG or sculpture uh, and things, but uh, I have a general knowledge of it right. so I can appreciate what's what's done well and what's done poorly. Uh huh. I like things that are done well. That takes skill and craft and time. Well, if you've worked on that many film sets and commercials and stuff, you know a lot about what how to make how the good stuff gets made and how the bad stuff gets made. Yeah. Oh yeah. I did have a, a sci-fi music video a couple of years ago with like some of my best friends in town. Who most of them now have moved to LA. Um, my buddy directed it and kind of wrote it. He still lives here. He's think moving there soon too as well. But it was this really cool sci-fi video for a band called Creature Comforts, Creature Comfort, and um, we made this like kind of clean room for this singer to be in, and we had this girl, and I designed this helmet. My buddy and I designed this helmet for her. And our buddy made it that works in practical effects stuff. So we had this like crazy helmet went over her whole face that lit up and had wires coming out of it. And she was kind of controlling his world. And this cleaner, she was on this like throne, you know, and mm. we built everything. Mm. And I think it still like looks pretty good. We spent like $5,000 on it and we did a pretty fucking bang up job with what we had. Yeah. We built a whole room out of drywall and we like made benches and like air vents and weird lights and we curved the bench and none of us ever worked drywall before and turned out like good it looked mm -hmm. like shit in person yeah but on translated but on the ari alexa yeah. or whatever we were using at the time oh so you're just using real shitty cameras or whatever yeah like yeah just only a like hundred thousand dollars yeah uh but <laughs> yeah. it looked fine all in that. the cameras that start with an a is there yeah. any camera that starts with an A that's not Ari? Amazing. Yeah. See, all they're all good. I don't know anything besides Ari. I'm not a I'm not a of a, a DP or a, an operator, so I couldn't tell you. 
I'm so glad that that um I, I think being in the film industry on a perpetual level um has gotta be really frustrating. Like to the point where I, I can see that being a business not from the front of the camera but just behind like production. Yeah. It's gotta take real special people, I would imagine, to sort of bubble to the top of that and feel good about it and be able to handle the work and the rhythm of the work and the way that the work happens and all the pressures Very and all the things. Ego driven. Yeah. Almost all departments that I've worked with over the years. Very ego mm-hmm. driven. Bunch and, of fucking assholes. But like, <laughs> a lot of like, my best friends I've made in the world are also from the film world. Uh, right. But they're then, not ego driven, they're just there for the craft but kind of like the producing kind of side of it, the producers and even some art department people that I've worked with over the years and some of the, the cinematographers, they're, I but, you, but you've met really high level people in that realm too. And you, yeah. and I'm sure it's the same as anything else where it's like when you meet people that are legit and on the highest level of anything, it's so mind blowing how they're infinitely always the nicest most benevolent positive people you know like i I don't know like i've had so many experiences where i've met people that are you know masters in these various realms or whatever you know and i'm just so struck by the example that's so consistent with all of them which is just that they're so people i guess my point is just that like the people that are being like real full of bravado and kind of acting out and and trying to leverage themselves on other people and a situation and they're politics. Very, they're a very mid-level. Exactly. They, they weren't from here either. Right. They're, they're just, from New York or LA. They were, they were on it. They were, yeah. Their, and, their production team or whatever was hired. Yeah. And then they, the, whoever the client is or whoever possibly the musician was or commercial was meant to be shot in Nashville. So they came here and they hired local team to create it. Those were the people usually that were, uh, less than savory. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Kelly Clarkson is a fucking sweetheart. Mm. I really like Kelly Clarkson. I haven't, I've never met her. She is. She's a great singer too. Yeah, she was. I did a, a production design video for her. That was, a, that was a good team. Our director was from Canada and DP was from LA and they both have done very big stuff and was, I got kind of thrown to the gamut with that one. I was mm-hmm. kind of a low-level production designer, and my friend Elise hired me for it. And like, can you do that? I'm like, sure, I can. You know, my fingers crossed behind my back, kind of thing. And I pulled it off. Yeah, thank fucking god. And it's a cool video too. Um, I like to see it. But she had the flu coming into it, and she was still sweet. I was down on the floor. She didn't talk to me, people, because she was kind of in and out because she was sick and it was a short day for her. I was on the floor sorting through like a hundred fucking teddy bears to figure out which one would be the hero, which one we would use in the video. <laughs> and she like squatted down and like put Casting. her arm and put her arm around me. And she was like, "Are you the art director?" And I'm like, "I am." She's like, "Oh, I can't really see what you're doing on this on this shoot with me." And I was like, "Oh, yeah." She's Thanks like, for good, acknowledging like, what nice I'm doing here. You. I'm Kelly. And I'm like, I'm Chris. That's, this is unusual. You are <laughs> really sweet and on set all day. She was kind of got put through her motions she had to do a lot of shit that was uncomfortable you yeah. know but she was just sweet and patient and did her job the whole time and no complaints and mm-hmm. she was a dream to work with and just mm-hmm. really sweet she's mm-hmm. like man that's refreshing yeah the people that are famous can not be pricks mm-hmm. another woman in town is a prick 
<laughs> I won't drop her name, <laughs> but her last name is rhymes with w- mint or piffed or <laughs> quiffed. <laughs> Miffed. <laughs> yeah. Rainer Miffed. <laughs> Um, she's full of herself that one i thought i thought that she just was a brand ambassador for target she also, so she also puts out records uh i don't know if she does or not no Videos I, are made I, don't about any, it. I don't have any problem with uh taylor swift um because i'd have never met her and i'm sure that i'll probably never meet her <laughs> and i'm so far away from i don't care anymore about it even at the it, time it was it, annoying but yeah i've never had to be subject to anything yeah and also like maybe there's people too where like it depends on where they are in their career or whatever yeah my homie dustin used to work with her she, he did all of her videos when she was kind of before she blew up in town hmm. he was the dp he's killing it right now he just did a north faced ad north faced like series of ads and i think chile or argentina and they're fucking amazing he's killing it he's the one friend i have that's like like will be actually like famous mm. um but he said when she was younger thanks <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh okay. I'm she cool was never being famous she was really cool but still i just don't want to be ruled out like you know <laughs> no you're so not just dismissed <laughs> sorry it just i don't know i didn't mean to cut you hey, down look, like that man hey look this is not about me but i, I think i'm learning a lot about you chris and, <laughs> and uh, you know i see how uh, you know you meet people that are really good at what they do and you kind of <laughs> you drill and you dig a little bit and you kind of get to know them and then you know they they reveal themselves <laughs> it's and this, they, you know and here's the thing it's like nothing's wrong right it doesn't, it doesn't mean that something's inherently wrong it just means like now i know just more things this is fucking gluten-free <laughs> truth serum you gave me it's not my fault it's the gluten-free truth serum okay so let's take a uh like so we're not this is this podcast is not sponsored by anyone but we are all drinking Guten? Guten. Guten. I think it's like I think it's like good day, like Guten Tag, right? Yeah. Guten Tag. I don't actually speak German and I don't so know it when it's just called it, but I'm good, assuming it's good, good beer. beer. Yeah. Guten beer. But you've seen a war film. I've seen a few war films. I've seen a movie called Inglorious Bastards. And so I know how to if I do the wrong numbers with my fingers, you'll know that I'm not a Nazi. And then shit's gonna get interesting in this podcast. And we're also gonna good. find out as to the moral imperative of this Guten, beer. Guten beer. Um, because it is gluten-free beer. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a little, you know, on, a, on the, it's, it's, it's basically made of, we looked at it earlier, it's made of like millet and barley or Can something. Can I have another one, please? So it's still, it's still, you know, grain, fermented grain, but it's not, there's no wheat product in it. So it's, it's a little different. It doesn't taste like your normal... You know, uh, American Pilsner. What, but, we, but if you, if what you, are we missing here? Then, what like what are we what are we sacrificing? I don't really think much. I think it tastes pretty good. And no, it's got, it, what's the alcohol if it's content? Not much, five, then, like, five, like five, 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 something like that. Yeah. So it's got a it's got it's a nice one of those things where like you know how like you see like little uh, buzz. Well, like you know how, like you're a, you're like a Dollar General or some place that just has like nothing but processed food. For whatever reason, you're walking through and you're seeing stuff that's like at, you know in the shittiest of food aisles of shittiest food ever non even real food and it'll say like you know gluten free like you know mm. these these whatever some fucking doritos or like whatever i don't know whatever it would be saying, 
things like yeah. that or just everyday things like that like too. cranberries like, yeah that stuff cranberries, is never, gluten-free it's yeah. like yeah. well yeah man it's fruit it's never had gluten <laughs> of course yeah no it's dumb yeah and i got any if anybody's uh ire is being raised right now that's listening to this well i got one question for you and that is where the fuck was kale in 1993 mm-hmm no one knows no one knows but now everybody's eating it yeah to so be discovered kale, on listen, some no no no, no 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 kale you know what kale was kale was the stuff that filled up the gaps of bowls of things on ice in the shoney's salad bar so it's part of the mix the greens mix but nowhere near as popular as baby spinach it was it was gar- <laughs> it was garnish. Well, now yeah. it's dropped off too. There's some it thing is really good if you in kale that apparently has come out as being right. like not that good for you. Oh, or wow. something. You can't um, keep up with it, man. You can't keep up with what's good I don't, and what's bad. I can't. I don't. You know, I don't. I've, I don't really have any kind of gluten problem as far as I'm aware. It's but because you're over forty, <laughs> really, people have problems with it when they're when they're. Or you're well, saying it's a generational yeah, thing. We don't even have like a psychological brain slot available for even accommodating the notion of a, a gluten issue. Yeah. Like, like our brains are, are just like, what? That's, like even, a, that's like saying like I've absorbed the planet like, Pluto into my brain. How can you it's be like, well, that's not real. Wheat. Yeah. So like, right. just move on. No, I can't be in the sun. I can't have too much vitamin D as it is. I can't be in the sun. Can I bring my own <laughs> emotional support sun with me? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be a little more generous than this, but uh, uh, but anyway, but the, this gluten-free beer, I wouldn't I wouldn't seek out a gluten-free beer, but having drank these gluten-free beers, gluten beer, I think they're quite delicious, and uh, I think this is a product that could possibly underwrite our podcast. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, what if I told you they already were, and I just Whoa. hadn't? Oh, and this is like a surprise moment where I realize uh, you I realize, get to drink like, man, all I've, the gluten beer. I've been taking all this. This ca- is brought to you by. <laughs> brought to you this, by as a gluten beer. The people putting cash in my pocket and not joe's oh i see thank you so not about being famous about being rich you see eh, i see you first no first you get the first you get the money then you get the power then you get the women well we we uh, we try listen we we try (laughs) we've been trying with our campaign to say look all we want is one million listeners to listen at the 99 cent a month supporter level where can people become a 99 it's not asking much it's not asking much we're asking for just where can they do that at Brian anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast 99 cents a month for this kind of quality programming yeah I mean but here's the thing you know (laughs) like it's it's kind of like I what what kind of an asshole do you have to be to not give us 99 cents a month can we just talk about it that way? Can Me? we just get right to the fucking point? These I haven't assholes. given you a dollar yet. I'm like, sorry. What the fuck? If you're listening to this, but you're what on the, the show. You're you're here. What you're is participating wrong with in the creation. You? Like, why you're a content you? creator? We <laughs> yeah. So I get a pass. Have, look, look. We, here's the thing. I think that we have asked nicely. You know, and yeah. I think that we've kind of twice, twicely, yeah, nicely, like, twicely. We've asked like a couple times, and so I'm not gonna. You know, we haven't reached our one million person a month goal. So now we're going to have to look at taking payoffs from booze companies. Now we have to take a payoff from a booze company. Or chips. Your chips, fault. too. Chips. I, I don't know. I just made fun of three Gluten different. Free chips. Yeah. 
Get some gluten free no, chips. No, get some gluten chips because you talked about gluten free chips. Get some good gluten chips. Oh, you can like pure gluten. Like they're actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they're high actually, in gluten. They're just 100% gluten. All the gluten. Known for our gluten. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And flavor dust. All the gluten, none of the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Cage free gluten. It's just fucking chewy ass fried gluten. That's, that's how my mind thinks. Free, <laughs> it's free I, range. I hate my generation sometimes so much. It's just, like i think things like that You're like what about all gluten yeah but it's just it's nonsensical to even think like that but i do to spite people who <laughs> who make such a big deal of such stupid things mm. i, I like, think oh i wanted three sugars not or stevia is only three stevia is not two stevia is in my you name your fucking coffee drink mm. whatever like right used to have it is this a fight worth fighting yeah is this a fight <laughs> worth fighting or can you go about your day and make a difference and <laughs> go help the community or help the economy in general or your child or anything why is this a priority of yours mm. it's like um it's like a it's like something that happens with like it's like there's a human need to like feel like like maybe for problem solving or something but we live in a culture where for so many of us the problems are all solved you know what i mean so it's like oh mm. guess what i want my coffee to be fucking perfect and guess what that's the biggest challenge of my day we don't have to hunt <laughs> yeah. or gather anymore we have a lot of free time and that allows for did yeah, we put that energy somewhere else yep to be f like focused on things yeah. that don't really matter yeah now, you're, now your eating disorder is a lifestyle congratulations america well put <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, America. <laughs> Love Fucking it or pricks. leave it. Love it or leave it. <laughs> Guten Bier. <laughs> um, that was a great talk, man. Thanks for coming by, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We enjoyed that. I had yeah, a great we, time. We, we went all over the place. We went pre-Egyptian all the way to gluten-free. <laughs> this is, this is way, had way more shit. breath I'm than our last tired, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I am tired. <laughs> from one conspiracy to another. <laughs> yeah. That's the through line there. So it's all conspiracy. conspiracy. I'm going to overstep my bounds in anything with talking about famous folks or gluten or anything. Nah. No, no. I think that what we've established here... Hey, look, if Taylor Swift wants to come on here and give her side of that story... I never said that. We'd be happy. That's true, too. That's true, too. You said that. I did. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson's going to be a sponsor of this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, but again... I gotta say, like the, I think the gluten-free beer is gluten. It is gluten. It's aptly named, me. and it's a fan. It's a fantastic little, very. It's a very sort of utilitarian can too. I like. I like yep. the utilitarian can. It tastes yeah. good. It has good design. I don't know where you get it, but um, yeah, you should try to find it. We like it. There's gluten. A yeah, use the internet gluten and then figure beer. it out. Should so, try and um, find you. G U with a little umlaut T E N. So, so Chris, what do you got coming up? Anything you got? I know you got a show like spring or summer or something, right? Yeah, my show that I was last on was supposed to be in September, yeah. and that has since been pushed to April. Oh wow! So that is what I'm currently doing is making even more work for my show in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Damn, I wish April. we were taking more time oh, to talk ass. about that because, like, I'm curious about sort of we'll get him back before it happens. Yeah. yeah. Next time, I'll I'll continue my my longest streak on Art Fight. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm curious like, just to find out, like, if you're, because I know you were sort of pressing to get a bunch of stuff done before, like you were really I was going hard. I was freaking out. 
and then uh, you know now you're in a place where it's like oh I have time to sort of take pause and kind of rethink conceptually potentially like what I'm doing and oh now this piece no way like this is because every artist has like the whatever I'm doing right now is everything you just said is correct yeah. I've already thrown pieces away mentally I've already gotten yeah. kind of weird and off my normal path with things I'm working on now that's going to be interesting so yeah. I want to talk to you more about that because uh, we'll, so we'll have you back soon because love to like that's a that's such a that's a legit interesting thing I think for anybody who makes or does stuff to kind of hear like because you're subject to these external variables of shows or things happening or canceling or for various reasons the through line of time there like you're you're forced to sort of go okay I've got now two like I went from too short a time which is healthy in a way right constraints yes and now like, like like oh my god well and I'm reponder like the frame is now so much wider in which I'm considering everything well, and, and that is actually bad sometimes the events that led up to my show being moved have also changed my life like forever so yeah that has also taken effect into the art as well. Yeah, of course. That's real. You're right. It's it's almost like you're not even really the, the you. Like something so formative has changed that you're kind of like, it's a different person now in a way, right? I am. Yes, you are correct 100% with that. Yes. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk more. But uh, um, thanks for coming by thanks and, for having me and guess what we're gonna do now I think we're gonna take this party and we're gonna go to another party we're gonna go attend uh, Nathan Brown and Ava Boris's wedding we're gonna go celebrate their recent wedding with them and they're moved to fucking Europe and they're moved to fucking Europe yep congratulations guys yeah and so uh, so I guess we'll get from one thing to the next Joe do you got anything going on uh yeah, I just I just re-released like uh, Brian. You've been re-releasing some of your early albums. I just re-released my first album. It's the twentieth anniversary of Plain Jane, and I put out a new version that's got remastered tracks along with two bonus tracks and brand new art. And if you follow me at Mighty Joe Nolan on Twitter and Instagram, you can find it there. I've got some other big news that happened this week, but um there's gonna be some there's gonna be some pending coverage brian so i'll wait till that drops and then i'll start okay, so joe's pregnant we'll hear more about that <laughs> congratulations on the re-release that's thank you. that's awesome thank you. <laughs> man i wish we had more time we gotta cut out and do this thing what but you? Um, what do you do uh, right now um i just re-released a bunch of stuff you can go check on spotify under my various aliases that you'll never find uh, but I've been releasing stuff from the last 20 years out to the universe. Tell them the alias. Is it Beat Hollow? Uh, so so um, I have one music alias called Fognode. Mm. F-O-G-N-O-D-E. I have another alias called Good Rester. I have another <laughs> alias called Those Drones. And then I have music that I've also released under my proper name, Brian Siskind. And so you can find different styles are assigned to sort of each alias. It's mm. like a thing. Um... I don't know. We'll talk more about it some other time soon. But uh, thanks to everybody that's listening. And um, anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast. Give them money. Give them money. 99 cents a month. We just need 1 million people. Or 100. Yeah, like, let's just, tr- we'll, we'll set our goal small with 1,000. But anyway, all right, so we'll leave you into the death dub zone of my weird mixtape. All right, appreciate it, guys. Gute Nacht. Thank you. <laughs> Later.
Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.